0: Turn with me to Philippians chapter three, if you will, after we get through the, the, uh, the missions part of this. Philippians chapter three is where we're going to be. This Sunday and next Sunday, we're gonna be finishing our series on race and the church. And I started a message last week, and it's uh, or a couple weeks ago. And uh, this week, it's like, uh, it's like Harry Potter or the, or the Hunger Games. The first two movies are one part, but the last movie is two okay I, thank you thank you very much <laughs> two-part <laughs> two message okay um, so we're going to start this one this week and we'll finish it next week the following week we're going to start a new series on um entitled roadkill lessons we can learn from roadkill and uh it's a i was actually driving to missouri one time and uh as i was driving it was in the fall And it's amazing, if you've ever traveled cross-country, it's amazing how many dead animals you see all over the road. And I started looking at them, and my mind's a little bit weird, a little bit twisted. And I thought, I wonder why that deer ran out in the street? I wonder why that skunk, ran. I mean, there's there's tractor trailers coming by at 85 miles an hour. Why did that possum run out? And I started thinking, man, that would make a great series. It's kind of morbid, but it's kind of fun. So in a couple of weeks, we're gonna start a series on roadkill. And I hope you are excited about that and interested in hearing what we have to say. But let's talk more about this uh, topic of race and the church. It's brought us to this question, to this point. So how do we fix this? We spent the first few messages talking about the problem of race and establishing the fact that there is a problem. And like I've said a couple of times, if by this time, you aren't convinced, you don't know, you don't realize and understand that there is a problem of race within the church, the, not just local churches, but the body of Christ, then I just don't really know what to do, with, do for you anymore. Because it's just obvious that there's a problem. There is division in the church that Jesus Christ has established in race. of all people that go to evangelical churches go to a church of their own race on Sundays. And that's not just because they like it there. It's because that's where they feel welcome. Last week we started uh, this last message, uh, how do we fix this? And I told you the three points that we were, actually we started two weeks ago, the three points we were gonna be covering were speaking with honesty, thinking with sincerity, and acting with integrity. And that's the, la- the last point is what we're going to be talking about for these next two weeks, acting with integrity. I also gave you our text verse, which is Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. Not that I have already reached the goal or am already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of By Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. It doesn't matter where you came from, this is the hardest thing. And those of you who, especially those who accepted Christ as adults, right? This is the hardest thing for new believers to do forget the past. Man, it's so difficult, isn't it? Forget the past. I saw that now, uh, I, I just read an article that opioid deaths, overdoses, and suicides this year during the pandemic are double what they were last year. Why? Because as human beings, we go back to what got us through a time before. And whether that's functional or dysfunctional, that's what people do. So it's very difficult to let go of the past and to put the past behind us and not <laughs> excuse me, not try to draw, not live life by dragging that around as an anchor to our spirit. But that's exactly what Paul challenges us to do. Let go of your past. Man, in your marriage, how many of you in your marriage, I won't ask you to raise your hand because it might start a fight later on, but how many of you in your marriage know that you've got to let go of the past, gentlemen especially, right? Go ahead, go ahead with your wife and bring up the past. I mean, bring up the past burnt dinner, right? And see what you get on the plate next time. Seriously, man, living in the past and bringing up the past does nothing for us to move forward. So Paul says, if you've dealt with your past, if you've confessed it and put it behind you, now, let it go and move forward. And as when it, when, it, when it comes to race and the church, that's exactly what we have to do. Listen, we could sit here for months and talk about and, and relate and go through all of the issues that have happened and, and the proof. And we could have debates and this and that and the other thing. But you know what we need to do? We need to acknowledge the fact that there has been divisive actions And especially white people, man, that's where it comes from. Divisive actions by the white community in the church of Jesus Christ. We have mistreated people of color in the church. We must admit that, acknowledge that, confess that sin. We've already dealt with this in the series. Confess that sin and then move forward in a positive direction to bring unity to the church of Jesus Christ. That's the only way we're going to reach the world. Why do you think, I mean, seriously, and this this goes in with with my, my belief that we're in the end times. Why do you think we are in the middle of a pandemic, which is shutting everything down, and so many Christians are going along with shutting churches down? Whose plan do you think that is? You think that's God's plan? I think not. Satan is trying to distract us from what we're supposed to do. And then you throw in the racial component that's been going on and all the other things, and it just divides the church so that we're chasing our tail rather than reaching out to the world. This is the time, the Bible tells us, when times get like this, this is the time that we redouble our efforts to reach the world. That's why we're reintroducing uh, missions right now because it's important that we go about reaching the world as best we can and look for every opportunity. Let's remember the guiding principles in our series on race in the church. You've got to admit that you do not know what you do not know about race, race relations, race relations in the church, and what the Bible teaches about your attitudes towards other races as a follower of Jesus. You have to admit that you don't know what you don't know. You have to admit that. I, I, I'm one of the coaches for Gabriel Michael's baseball team. And man, oh, one of the hardest things to teach a kid is to tag up on a fly ball, right? It's the hardest thing, because they don't understand the concept. I'm coaching third base, and I tell the kid on second, my dad was there watching the game, tell the kid on second base, I won't mention his name, I'll just say, it, I'll just give the illustration. I said, if the ball's in the ground to the shortstop, There's nobody on first. Don't run until the ball is thrown or it gets through. You don't wanna run into a tag. And if the ball's hit in the air, stay there and I'll tell you when to tag up. Well, the pass ball brings him over to third base. He comes to third base, I said, listen, same thing. I said, now on a ground ball, you just run home. But on a fly ball, stay right where you are, don't move, and I'll tell you when to tag up. That's the third base coach's job. That's That's the why you have coaches. What happens? Next pitch, line drive to the third baseman. The kid takes off to home. He stops about eight feet later. Kid catches the ball. Third base, he's out. He immediately looks at me and says, "You told me not to run." Yes. Yes. I told you not to run. That's why you have here. All right. Yes. And then I re- then I immediately remembered they're nine years old and really, they all want to go swimming after this. So what's the big deal, right? But that's what that's what coaching is all about. You know what? I had several kids in the dugout then say to me afterwards, that's why you told us not to run on a fly. Exactly. Kids get it. You don't know what you don't know. But once you learn, now you know. Second thing is you must accept that people of other races and your own race have different experiences and perspectives than you do when it comes to treatment from attitudes towards racial issues. And thirdly, you must commit to applying the principles of the Bible to your view of people of a different race. (laughs) We all have a choice to make. We all have a choice to make. If you've been here for these sermons if you've been watching us on Facebook through all these sermons we all have a choice to make now what am I going to do personally about the racial division within the body of Christ what am I personally going to do about the racial division in the body of Christ listen you can turn a blind eye to it you can say oh pastor John that's nice kind of pat me on the head and walk away and go back to the white bread world and just act as if it doesn't matter you can get upset with me or uh, over other things and invalidate everything I've had to say because you're upset about other things. Or you can truly take what has been taught and take especially, not just my words, but the words of, of the Bible and the facts of the matter and look at yourself and your life and your church and your community and say, what can I personally do? About the, division, about the racial divisions in the church, in, in my church if they exist, my attitude, the attitudes of others, or throughout the church community. Because it's so vitally important in these times that we be a united community, a united body of Christ. Dr. Tony Evans, if you ever wanna hear a great sermon, go to YouTube and, and uh, search for Dr. Tony Evans. Pastors down in, in Dallas, Texas, amazing, amazing. He also, he's, he's African American, and he was the first, it's crazy, all these years of history in the American church, he's the first African American pastor to ever have a commentary published in America. First one, and it was just published a year or so ago. There's no problem, no problem at all. Man's brilliant. Listen to some of his messages. He said this, We cannot expect to solve the racial problem in our nation if we do not and have not even begun to solve it in the church. You see, we can, we can march and we can protest and we can uh, do all the kind of things that, that people want to do right now out there. But the fact of the matter is the problem is a heart problem with humanity. And if we don't begin to solve the racial problem in the church, it will never be changed and solved in the world. And that's why we're talking for these next two weeks about the topic of acting with integrity. Billy Graham said this, integrity is the glue that holds our way of life together. We must constantly strive to keep our integrity intact. When wealth is lost, nothing is lost. When health is lost, something is lost. When character is lost, all is lost. As a believer, when character is lost, all is lost. The only thing I have as a pastor to bring to people, to have credibility, is my integrity. There's nothing else. There's nothing else. I could be the greatest fundraiser in the world. I could be the greatest... Gardener in the world, I could have all kinds of great accolades behind me that say I'm the greatest at this, or top ten. I keep getting somebody sending me this: "You've been nominated uh, for Who's Who for ninety nine dollars. You can have your." I don't have. Please, uh, okay. list me as the Prince of Nigeria, right? Um, all that would be wonderful, but if I don't have integrity. Who's gonna listen? Seriously. If I don't have integrity, who's gonna listen? If I cannot be trusted, if I cannot be looked at, looked to and say, you know what? He he lives what he preaches. It's not perfect, but he lives what he preaches. If that is not true in my life, then I have nothing to offer you. Therefore, I must guard my integrity, and my integrity must be the basis of all my actions as not just a pastor, but as a husband, as a father, and a member of the community. My faith must permeate every aspect of my life and be so so overpowering in me that it makes me stop. Even when I want to do something, man, I'll tell you what, go ahead and coach nine-year-olds. Ask my father. He coached for years, uh, kids, anybody who's coached kids There are times you want to scream, if I had hair, you know, I want to get a hair transplant so that I can pull my hair out. But I know that, first of all, it's damaging to a kid to yell at them like that, treat them like that. It's just baseball. had one kid yesterday, tie game, bases loaded, kids up, man. And I mean, men on second and third, kids up. And you could just see it on him. He couldn't breathe. He's holding his breath. So I stopped and I said, listen, buddy, I said, step out of the box. So he stepped out of the box. He just kind of staring at me like a deer in a headlight. I said, take a breath. And he took a breath. And everybody just kind of watched me. I said, just take another one. Just relax. And then he looked at me and I said, and remember, it's just baseball, buddy. Have fun. Just have fun. There's nothing else on the line here. It's just baseball. He Went in and he, he got a walk and loaded the bases. <laughs> If I, if I come in here and preach one way and then go and coach little, little boys in baseball another, I have no integrity. If my faith doesn't permeate every aspect of my life, if it doesn't permeate the way I deal with my neighbors, when I deal with uh, the people at the grocery store, when I go, to, go out to eat, if I am not a person of integrity in every aspect of my life, then I have no credibility as a pastor. That's just the fact of the matter. Credibility, and and as a Christian, it's the same for you. You can think, well, I'm not a pastor, it doesn't matter. It matters, man. You want to reach people with the gospel? You You want to change the world for Jesus Christ? Start living with integrity. Start acting with integrity. Start doing everything in your life with integrity. It's important that we have conversations about race that uh, we've talked, as we've talked about. It's important that we have those conversations. It's vital that we gather data so that we can be able to look at the issue from both sides and come to an honest Bible-based conclusion. It's so important that we have those conversations. It's so important that we collect that data, gain that knowledge. Uh, I, I was just sent a book this uh, this past week, and I'm reading that, and it's, it's, it's more uh, on, on the topic from the African, from the the African-American point of view. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm trying to gain as much as I can so that I can understand as much as possible so that, it can, that, that I, I have that knowledge and I have that understanding and I have that view of things. But none of that matters if I'm not willing to then act on it. If I'm not, really, if I'm not willing to take what I've learned and put it into practice in my life, in my home, and in my church, and in the way I treat people in my community, then it's absolutely of no value to me. It's simply, it's, it's like having enough, uh, enough knowledge to win at Jeopardy, big deal. <clears throat> the task ahead of the body of Christ and the local church is monumental breaking a 400 year cycle of racism and segregation and its effects in the church community is a huge, huge task. We are literally trying to change people's hearts, not their minds, their hearts. Our brothers and sisters in Christ, people who have been indoctrinated in this for generations. It's tough, it's difficult, but it is a task that can be accomplished if we, all make the, if we all make the significant effort to make the changes that are needed. Martin Luther King said this, the philosophy of Christianity is strongly opposed to the underlying philosophy of segregation. You get that? Christianity and segregation are polar opposites. They don't go together. Jesus didn't die for the white race. You know who thought that? Hitler, want to line up with Hitler? You know who thought that? Early American Christians who, did, who, who tried to justify slavery and said that, said that uh, black people were not fully human, therefore they didn't have a soul. Check it out, man. I'm not just pulling this stuff out of a hat. This was the, this was the church doctrine of the early American church, the evangelical church. He said, the philosophy of Christianity is strongly opposed to the underlying philosophy of segregation. Therefore, every Christian is confronted with the basic responsibility of working courageously for a non-segregated society. Conquering segregation is an inescap- inescapable must confronting the Christian churches. And once again, it's not just, it, it's not just the, with the goal of living in harmony. That's not what this is about. It's not about racial justice. And I remember, I I made it very clear in the the first several sermons, this is not political, and this is not about social justice. That is not what this is all about. If you don't change somebody's heart for Jesus Christ, you'll never change their actions out there. We must bring about heart change in believers and in unbelievers. Bring them to Christ. What does 2 Corinthians 5.17 say? If anyone is in Christ, if anyone who has accepted Christ as their Savior, they're a new creation, you're a blank slate. You can now be rebuilt in his image. That's, that's the secret sauce. Jesus Christ, and we'll talk about that in a second. We can do this, but it's, got, it's going to take intentional effort to get there. So how do we, as followers of Jesus in a local church, go about acting with integrity in the matter of bridge building, in the matter of wall breaking, and in the, in, the, in the matter of stronghold destroying, because make no mistake, that's what this is. You look around our country, you look around our area, and there is a stronghold of racism. It's there. Don't close your eyes. Don't think that, oh, I live in the north, I live in the northeast, we're, we're woke up here. No, we're, no, we're not, no, we're not. It's just not true, and if that's what you and your white friends think when you go out for coffee at 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 a, what's that the the devil's place Starbucks that's right Starbucks Starbucks <laughs> <laughs> Jesus loves Duncan I'm just saying <clears throat> but that's why we that's why we said in these sermons talk to people of color. Have honest conversations with them. See their perspective and then take that seriously and put it into practice in your life. So how do we do this? The first thing we must do in acting with integrity is this. We must remember that Jesus is the answer. We've been talking about that all morning already, haven't we? We must remember that Jesus is the answer. It doesn't matter who wins in November. It doesn't matter. It does not Oh, I know that's heresy now, right? Right? Where uh, the the future of the church in America depends on who Oh, come on. Seriously? The place where the church is growing the most is China. China is an incredibly repressive regime. Don't think it don't think anything different. China still puts Christians in jail, still persecutes and executes Christians, China still does that. Okay? They still do it. They still do it in Muslim nations around the world. It doesn't matter who wins the election as far as, as, far as this issue in the church goes. What matters is that we as, as Christians understand that Jesus is the answer. He's the answer for every problem in your life. He's the answer to fix your marriage. He's the answer to uh, reach your neighbors. He's the answer to solving the problem of racism in the church. John 14, 6, Jesus told them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Man, that's the last word. That's the mic drop, right? That's the last word on the matter. I know a lot of of young Christians in in the millennial generation have walked away from the church, and they they believe that the way to go about things is now to be socially active. Listen, man, I'll use use the old illustration. It was in election several cycles ago. You put lipstick on a pig, it's still a pig, right? Right? You can pretty up society from the outside, but unless you change it on the inside, it does not matter for eternity. We are not called to beautify society. We are called to share the love of Jesus Christ with the intention of reaching them with the gospel so that they can accept the fact that they're sinners. Re- 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 understand the fact that there's nothing they can do about their sin on their own, realize that Jesus died as the sacrifice for sins forever, the one sacrifice for sins forever, accept him as their personal Savior, and receive the gift of eternal life. That is the answer. Once someone accepts Jesus Christ as their Savior, the Bible clearly says, Cliff, you know I'm telling the truth, the Bible says that the the gospel the the eyes of the lost are blinded to the gospel until they accept Christ as their Savior and then their eyes are opened because the things of the Word of God are spiritually discerned now people can say that's hocus-pocus but it's not it's the Bible it's what the Bible has to say that's why I that's why I tell people it, it makes no sense to have arguments about Scripture listen you want to have those arguments? You want to have those discussions? I'll have them. But I like, I used to tell people when, when I worked at the Texas Roadhouse with Zach, or over at uh, um, Boston Market with Jimmy and Jess. I say, guys, if you want to have a conversation about the Bible, we can have that conversation. I'll be all, I'm all, all about it. But just understand, I went to college for this. Okay? Doesn't make me a genius, but you've read, you've read an article on the internet. I studied this. For four years in college and the rest of my life so we can have that come but what good is that gonna do winning an argument is what the, is not what this is all about being able to win a debate is not what this is all about so we can alienate people by trying to show them how much we know or we can show them how much we love them and how much Jesus loves them by acting towards them with the integrity that is built up because of what we know and then have the opportunity to share our faith in an open and loving way and draw them to Jesus Christ. Listen, right now, man, people are terrified. Listen, I have a very strong opinion about whether East Long Meadows should open schools or not, and I'll share it with you. Yes, I think they should open. I think we should have, I, I think East Long Meadow should open. I've got two sons. My two boys are on AEPs. They need somebody with them. It's important. I think my son's education is going to suffer because of it. But I'm going to do my dead level best. My mom has already offered. She was a teacher for 736 years. We're going to do our best for my boys. No doubt about it. But it still doesn't change the fact that I think that they should be open on the hybrid model. Two days in, one day cleaning, two days out. That's what I think. You know what, that, you know, you know what that's worth? <laughs> A sweaty paper towel. Because it's not happening. So what? Now that the decision has been made, I need to work in love to try to do my best Roy boys and to bring unity in my community. Why? Because it's really not about the education kids get. It's about reaching people with the gospel. I don't send my sons to private Christian schools. You know why? Because my boys need to be missionaries in the public schools. Now, you may not agree with that. You may think that they're too young for that. I disagree completely. You know what would happen, honestly, you know what would happen if I go up to nine-year-old kids and sit down in a park and start talking to them? Somebody would make a phone call and the police would show up and ask me why I'm sitting around with a bunch of children. It's just the honest truth. So the better thing is to teach my boys about Jesus Christ and his love and how to live that way and give them a rudimentary understanding of the gospel so that they can simply go to their friends and live Christ to them and that the opportunity opens up, share their faith in a very childlike way. <laughs> I don't know. It comes from the idea that Jesus says, except you become like a child, you'll never see the kingdom of God. It takes faith like a child. Now, like I said, you may not agree with me, but if every Christian family pulls their kids out of public schools, there is no light to shine in darkness. You see what I'm saying? Like I said, you may not, you may not agree with me, but that's my philosophy on the matter. I believe that Jesus is the answer. And if we're going to live with integrity, if we're going to act in integrity, we must first remember that Jesus is the answer. Reaching people with the gospel and winning them to Jesus is the only priority. We must continue to preach out to those without Jesus as we reach across to our brothers and sisters of different races who already know him. We must view it as a partnership and not a competition. We've got a view, we've got, to, we've got to see. It's so difficult because we are churches nowadays. We've become so commercial. we become so, so, um, it's all about the show in so many churches. It's all about the numbers. And that's not the way we're designed. We're designed to, remember Paul wrote a letter? And he says in that letter, after you've read this to the church, share it with the other churches. Remember, remember reading that? I, I read that somewhere in, the gospel, somewhere in the Bible. Share it with the other churches. Paul knew. <laughs> Paul knew that just one church couldn't do the job. Paul knew that it was important for churches to work together in harmony and peace for the purpose of reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need to reach out with integrity and love to other churches, especially in these times to churches that are traditionally filled with people of color so that we can work not in competition but in partnership to reach our community for Jesus Christ. If you haven't heard it before, Springfield, Massachusetts, the springfield Holyoke Corridor is the least evangelized metropolitan area in America. Least evangelized metro area in America. People say, why are you sending, a pastor, why are you sending your sister, assistant pastor in a couple years right across the river to start a church? <laughs> because there's tens of thousands of people lost and dying and on their way to hell over there that we can't reach right now. Sorry, I live in a town that has over 50% completely unchurched not unaffiliated, unchurched in a town of almost 18,000. Right next door is a town larger than us whose number is higher than that. I can't reach, I can't reach every community around here through one church. We need, we need more. Therefore, we'll plant another church if that's what God has and we'll work in partnership with that church, not in competition. I believe that that's why God had my oldest son and I work together for over 20 years in ministry, because we know, what it, we know how successful we can be together in ministry. And when churches of other, that are traditionally of other races, we need to see them as partners, not as competition. If this is not the foundation of our endeavor to overcome racial division in the church, we will not succeed. We will not succeed. If Jesus Christ is not the basis, we will not succeed. Only Jesus can change a person's heart from the inside out, and that's the only cure to the problem of racial division in the church. Jesus is the only solution. The first thing is to remember that Jesus is the answer. Secondly, is this. Remember that your children are watching. Remember that your children are watching. And I'm going to say something here that it, that's going it's to rile some people up. It's going to ruffle some feathers. And I'm telling you, I don't care. You need to hear it. If this, if this ruffles your feathers, you need to hear it. Hate is generational. Hate is generational. The little kids that have have called my sons F and N words, the little kids that have walked up to my boy's face in second grade, my son, both of them, in second grade, in this town, in the school system, and said, I don't like brown people. Little kids, where'd they learn it? I'll ask you this question. Where'd my boys learn how to play baseball? Where'd my boys learn how to catch a football? Where'd my boys learn how to ride a bike? Where'd my boys learn how to eat with a fork and a spoon? No knives yet. We're not not there. Where'd they learn that? At home. Where, Where are they learning not to chew with their mouths open? At home. Manners are generational. Learning how to play sports is generational. Learning how to do so many basic things in life is generational. And you know what else is generational? Hatred for those of a different color. Remember, folks, your children are watching. Other children are watching. And if you truly want to stop racism now, you need to remember and act with the integrity Underlying, under, underlying with the fact that your children are watching and they're listening. Friedrich Otto Hertz said this. I used this in the first sermon. At the heart of racism is the religious assertion that God made a creative mistake when he brought some people into being. Let's break it down. Let's not be nice about this, okay? Okay. Let's not, let's not be because I can't afford to be nice. I'm raising two boys of color in a white world. Let's break it down. Those little kids learned from their parents that they're better than my boys, not because they get better grades or they can read a book better, but because their skin is white. That's what they learned. That attitude Is pervasive throughout the church in America why do I know that because there are churches in America that stand that way and say people of color are not welcome here or we we give we we give a sideways glance to it by saying we're gonna have a mission to these people the less fortunate and come on man I'd like to have a sign or wear a t-shirt that says, just admit you're a bigot. I, seriously. Seriously. That's, a, that's how I feel about it. And yes, it is a very personal issue, but it's also a very passionate issue as a pastor because I see the division and I see what could be. Could you imagine, <laughs> could you imagine a Sunday where we've got all kinds of different styles of music going on? And we've got things going on throughout the week where we've got uh, the, the different cultures coming together and learning from each other so that we can then go out into our communities and have an understanding of who the, who, who the Puerto Rican community is. It's very different, right? Very different, very different attitude in, in Puerto Ricans and, and um, the Caribbean countries. Very different. Their culture is very different. i mean been talking, have hello. We did a, a few years ago. We did a we did a potluck where everybody brought something from their culture. It was so cool because you had so many different kinds of food there. But once we got once we did that, then we go out into our community with a greater understanding of who they are and how to reach them. And it starts by understanding that you need to act with integrity and to realize that our children. Are watching when you say that people of color are just different when you say that people of color aren't as good as then you are saying that God made a mistake when he creatively made different shades of skin that's exactly what you're saying and that's what you're teaching to your children and to the next generation Proverbs 20 verse 1 says, a righteous person acts with integrity, his children who come after him will be happy. A righteous person acts with integrity, and his children will be happy. Why? Because they know how to live with integrity, and they know how to live successfully, and they know how to follow in the footsteps of their parents, because they've been raised with integrity. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 verse 21 says indeed we are very we are giving very careful thought to do what is right not only before the lord but also before people think about what you're doing think about what you're saying think about how you're saying it because children are watching and listening to what you have to say and they're learning, and you're just spreading your hatred to the next generation. Listen, don't candy it up by saying, oh, you know what, I, I wouldn't call it hatred. It's hatred. It's hatred. It's bigotry. Just call it what it is. Your choices, your actions, your, and your attitudes will determine the path of the next generation in regards to racial unity in the church. They just will. How do you think we've gone 400 years like this? because parents taught their children, who taught their children, who taught their children, who taught their, well that's, how many times have you heard people say, well that's just the way I was raised? (laughs) Okay. If you were raised to stab your neighbor, (laughs) is that a good thing? No, you'd probably try to break that cycle, right? Don't fall back on the excuse, that's just the way I was raised, that's just the way I was taught, We can unlearn and relearn. This means that you will, not may, have to have hard and honest conversations with your children about faith, race, and right. I've learned that I've already had to have those conversations with my sons. Listen, don't fool yourself. I'd much rather sit down and talk to Michael about why a bee sting hurts when he comes home crying than come home and crying, asking why somebody hates him because he's brown. I'd much rather have the bee conversation, but I can't afford to ignore the hate conversation. And if I'm going to raise my sons honestly and effectively, so that they can live as proud brown men facing society and living for Jesus Christ, proud of who they are and who God created them to be and be able to rise above the noise of hatred and bigotry, then I have to be honest with them and have those conversations. Yes, even at the age of nine. And thirdly, our last point for today is this intentionally choose to be, a better, to be a follower of Jesus with integrity with respect to race. I know that's a long point, but intentionally choose to be a follower of Jesus with integrity with respect to race. Chris Karcher said, integrity is choosing your thoughts and actions based on values rather than personal gain. Choosing your thoughts and your actions based on your values, based on Christian biblical values rather than personal gain. Listen, I I uh, we, I'll I'll be honest, you can ask Zach. He he watches our um our social media. We've it's it's been obvious. I he's he's uh he's tried to soften the blow for me, but over these last eight weeks or so, ten weeks that we've been preaching about race. No lie. We went from 1,700 views, 1,700, 1,700, that's 1,700 people watching our sermon every week down to maybe half of that. Listen, I can preach fun stuff. I'll be honest with you, preaching about roadkill, that's my wheelhouse. I love talking about silly I, I love taking the silliness of life and making spiritual applications but for unfortunately in in life and in this world we can't just sit around with silly stuff we have to address reality I've literally had people turn away from me and walk away in these conversations I've had pastors rail on me and call me names and berate me and belittle me which means absolutely nothing because I, I don't I don't understand what they're saying half the time anyway so i'm very comfortable in my skin i'm very that's why i have no problem laughing at my baldness i choose to be this way halfway i choose to be bald halfway okay Half of it it isn't my choice, the other half is, all right? There's a reason why I grow a beard, because I'd look like a butter bean if I didn't have some kind of facial hair, right? Seriously, right? It would be easy, and I'll be honest with you, it was exciting when we had 1,700 people watching. It was, man, we're getting the gospel out. But I'll tell you what, it showed just where people are at in the Christian community when we lost half of our viewership when we start talking about race in the church. If that doesn't open your eyes to the fact that there's a problem, then I don't know what else will. It's easy to do the easy things. It's easy to, listen, some parts of this country you can throw a hot dog out in the parking lot and draw a crowd for church. It's easy to do the easy things and it's easy to tickle people's ears and it's easy to entertain people and get them to come to church. What's difficult is to dig into the word of God and and share truth and challenge people at their core to be different and to change. And that's what this is about. If if we're going to act with integrity on the matter of race in the church, we must choose to be a follower of Jesus with integrity. What does that mean? That means living and acting with integrity should be the easy choice for us. There shouldn't be a question because you're doing the right thing. Too often it isn't, but it should be. It should be the easy choice. That's the way Jesus wanted us to live. Tony Dungy Uh, former uh, head football coach of Tampa Bay and Indianapolis (laughs) said integrity the choice between what is convenient and what is right. Proverbs 11.3 says the integrity of the upright guides them but the perversity of the treacherous destroys them. Proverbs 12.17 says whoever speaks the truth declares what is right but a false witness speaks deceit. The true desire of our heart should be to live lives that, in which we please God in everything, everything, everything we please God. That especially includes the way we treat people of color both in the church and out of the church, and not just the way we treat them, the way we think about them. Listen, you can be nice and kind and sweet on the outside, but on the inside have corruptness and think, what are those people doing in my town? We need a heart change, and we need to start acting like it. Psalm 84, 10 says, Better a day in your courts than a thousand anywhere else. I would rather stand at the threshold of the house of my God than live in the tents of wicked people, and that's exactly how I feel. If you you don't want to, reconcile the races in church so that we are unified and I lose my congregation over that I would be more satisfied to know that God is pleased with me because I took a stand than not taking a stand and losing all the human support that I could possibly have because pleasing God is the utmost that I can do Let me give you something to think about as we close this sermon out, just part one of acting with integrity. Martin Luther King Jr. said this, There was, the, there was a time when the church was very powerful. It was during that period that the early Christians rejoiced when they were, when they were deemed worthy to suffer for what they believed. In those days, the church was not merely a thermometer that recorded the ideas and principles of popular opinion. It was the thermostat that transformed the mores of society. A thermometer, you know what he means by that? A thermometer measures temperature, a thermostat determines temperature. That's deep, man. That's powerful. And it was Martin Luther King's belief that the church, if it was united and dedicated, the purpose for which it was created and called, could truly and literally determine the path of society because its people were so directed and motivated and blessed by God in all that they do. What is your desire as a follower of Christ? What is your desire when it comes to race and the church as a follower of Christ? Is it something that you, listen, you may not be a bigot. You may not be. You may have a pure heart when it comes to this. But what are you doing actively to, to, to change things? That's the question. Would you bow your heads with me in prayer? Father, thank you for the opportunity to be here today to preach your word and to hear and listen and fellowship. God, it's been so good, especially after such, not just a tough week, Lord, it is a very difficult week in this area, but in such a, a, a tremendous year, Lord. It's such a blessing. Lord, I, I know there are a lot of people that are choosing not to come back to church right now, God. But if I could just sit with them and tell them and share with them what they're missing by not being here in person, by not being here to listen to a worship team open up their hearts and sing from the the depths of their spirit praises to you, to see people share their gifts of music, to see the smiles on faces personally, God, and to be able to take in the word live. God, I thank you for the privilege of being being able to be here. Lord, there are so, so many tough choices, so many tough decisions, so many difficult issues facing Christians and the church today. And Father, if I'm being honest, the church in America is divided, and is divided by race, and it always has been. And Father, for these times, these specific difficult times in the history of the world, what I believe are the end times. God, we don't need more division in the church because that divides the message of the church. We need more unity in the church because that shows a a united message of integrity and love to the world. May each and every one of us take to heart what your word has said to us today as your Holy Spirit has worked in our hearts. And may we take it in, may we digest it, May it be strength to our bones and strength strength to our spiritual muscles and cause us to make decisions and to move forward in our lives for you. We love you, Lord. Dismiss us with your blessing. May we live and go forward as worshipers for you. In your precious name we pray. Amen.